What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to this edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. Well, it happened. The tweet I talked about last night on B-Shafe Daily that I sent after the Cardinals win on Tuesday night, knowing that Wednesday would be the bullpen game v. Sandy Alcantara. Talk about a mismatch, but not in 2023, evidently. Not with Dakota Hudson on the mound, baby. But I said last night, if the Cardinals can beat Alcantara in a bullpen game on Wednesday, I'd be willing to, and then came the caveats, entertain the possibility that things could get interesting at some point. If that's not a rallying cry for St. Louis Cardinals baseball, I don't know what is. But the Cardinals got it done. They beat Sandy Alcantara. Thanks to a big first inning, the swing by Nolan Gorman, the three-run home run to catapult them to a four-run inning. Alcantara actually settled down and was pretty good after that. But that was the catalyst to the Cardinals winning their fifth consecutive game. They have now won 8 of 10. They are 10 games below 500 at 43 and 53. No, they didn't gain a game in the standings because the Brewers beat the Phillies tonight. So they're still 10 games back. However... Does it feel different for anybody yet? Anybody feel different about the way things are going recently for the St. Louis Cardinals? Five wins in a row. Eight out of ten. And wouldn't you know it, trekking up to Wrigley Field for a Thursday game to kick off a four-day weekend in Chicago. Four-day weekend at Wrigley Field. You know what I think? Couldn't be coming at a better time for the St. Louis Cardinals. Not because the Cubs stink. That's not what I mean by that. But doesn't it just feel like every late summer series at Wrigley Field, something about the place, something about Cards Cubs, it's memorable. It's always memorable for one reason or another. And now it's got a chance to maybe decide the course of the rest of this Cardinals season. And you say, well, Brendan, how can that be? How can it be that there's anything left to decide? Because John Mozeliak decided it already, and he told everybody on Monday, this team is selling. If you're a free agent to be, pack your bags. You're not going to be here for long. That was kind of the vibe, right, from the Monday John Mozeliak press conference. Powwow with the media at Bush Stadium. Cardinals are too far out of it. They're in last place. This season hasn't gone the way they thought it would, and they're waving the white flag. They're throwing their hands up and saying, well, it ain't going to happen for us this year. But a funny thing has happened on the way to the Cardinals tanking the rest of the season. They haven't lost a game since. And by the way, they hadn't lost the couple days previous to that either. Had two in a row. Had the opener to the series on Monday. And John Mozeliak says, look, we are where we are. So many things have gone wrong this season. It's time. It's time to admit that this has been a colossal failure. To admit that we should have done more to address the pitching before the season began. He talked about Wilson Contreras. Maybe for 2024, they're not totally sure whether or not he's going to be the full-time catcher. They'll cross that bridge when they get to it. Table that discussion for now, he said, when Ben Fred asked him about that. All the different little topics that just haven't been quite right for the Cardinals this year have combined to lead to the situation that they're in. But all of a sudden, they're winning games. And they're doing it by sort of reversing course on a lot of the things that have been problematic about the team when things were going badly, which was basically most of the year. 
But guys like Nolan Arenado, who said this week, honestly, about my defense, I wasn't very good in the first half of the season. That's on me. But he wasn't the only one. The Cardinals have struggled with fundamentals, and defense has been a, a major part of that. But now we're seeing Nolan Arenado. Wednesday afternoon, he put on a clinic defensively at third base. Hits a walk-off home run in this series. Doing a little bit of everything. The bat is hot. The glove is hot. And the Cardinals are following his lead right now to five straight wins, to eight of ten, to a scenario where Wrigley becomes interesting. Again, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here because I know a lot of Cardinals fans, when I posted a video earlier on Wednesday night from the big show, Andy and I talked about it this afternoon. And Andy was firmly on the side of, no, no, no. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't get fooled by what you're seeing right now from this Cardinals team because that's not sustainable. And if you trick yourself into thinking that it is, you could cost yourself the opportunity to trade off some of these short-term assets for guys that can help you in 2024 and beyond, which is exactly what John Moselec said they needed to do on Monday. And so they are they are neck deep in pursuit of these types of trades by staying in contact with front offices all around baseball, trying to find a fit, trying to find where other teams may need the guys the Cardinals have to offer up, and, and maybe they have some fellas the Cardinals could use to their benefit if they're pitchers, because that is 100% still what the Cardinals need. And Andy was on board with trying to calm me down, right? To not overreact, to not get too far ahead of ourselves with this thing for a team that still trails by 10 games in the division. But I want to be the voice of the fan. I wanted to get, I wanted to advocate for Cardinals fans on that show today. And, and that's a video that was posted again Wednesday night. Video title on YouTube, if they keep winning, should the St. Louis Cardinals cancel plans for the trade deadline fire sale? Check out that video. It's about 20 minutes long on the YouTube channel. Between Andy and myself and producer Chris chimes in. It was actually pretty funny. We got a great caller as well that, that chimed in. So you guys want to check that out for sure. And check out the big show weekdays from 4 to 6 on KTGR.com for more fun stuff like that. We do talk a lot of Cardinals during the season. More Mizzou and Chiefs stuff when we get into uh, football season. But like I said, I'm looking at this Cardinals team right now. I'm acknowledging that they're playing differently. They're playing more loose. They're playing more free. They're playing like the weight of the world is no longer on their shoulders. And I, the weight of the clubhouse man for the first three months of the season prior to the All-Star break, basically, which they did kind of round into form a little bit right before the All-Star break. They were playing some decent baseball then. But for the most part, man, you just had a weird feeling about this clubhouse because they're losing so much, right? Like, it's not rocket science. It's not like there's some smoking gun necessarily. It's the vibe is wrong. And how do you establish a vibe? You win more. It's not that complicated. The Cardinals hadn't been winning very much, but now it's like they've come out, the pressure's off, they no longer seem to have that collective feeling of, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this season. Man, it's still going on. We'll get out of it. We'll get out of it. And then it still keeps happening. And they were just, I mean, you can only get run over by a truck so many different times before you go, I'm going to stop laying in the road. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop putting myself through this. And it's hard. You have to have kind of that, that five stages of grief, right? And eventually come to a point of acceptance that you just suck. <laughs> like that's 
that's where the Cardinals were. And again, it's the same guys right now that are putting together this winning streak. So I, I say suck very hyperbolically and, and to be facetious, but you're in a spot where you go, hey, whatever it is, it's just maybe not our year. And the moment it's like you accept that and can just go play the game, it, it starts to be fun again when you start coming through in the moments. Instead of treating every single game like, how are we going to blow this in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning when we've got a one or two run lead? They start treating it like, hey, let's just go play ball. Let's play the kids' game, and whatever happens, happens. And something about that, and this is just speculative, and, and people have been asking the players, and Arenado's spoken on this, so it's not entirely out of left field that I would make make these claims, but doesn't it feel like that's what they're doing? That they're just kind of letting it happen at this point? And, like, they've got issues beyond the pitching. The pitching has been the main issue this season. They've had some issues with their defense not being quite as crisp as it has been when they're gold glovers at every position. That hasn't really been the case this year. I don't know how many gold gloves they'll win this year. It's been rough. Starting to come around, though. But, like, when it was bad, those things were going wrong. Relief pitchers were alternating opportunities to blow saves. Like, oh, yeah, you take Wednesday. I, I feel like I can blow one on Friday. If you want to get into the mix on Saturday, you can. You good? Okay, cool. It's like they had a damn schedule on Google. Google Calendar stuff going on. So every little thing that could go wrong was going wrong, and you could throw in the runners in scoring position issues that they had offensively for a spell, which teams are going to have from time to time, but they were going through it day after day to the point where it was like you knew it, you felt it. And you could just tell that they were pressing. In the results, it showed that they were pressing. They have too much talent to be playing as badly as they were playing. I mean, they were on a pace to lose 100 games. At a point. Doesn't look like that's going to happen at this point. They're still 10 games below 500. They still got a long way to climb. But it's kind of to a point where, I don't know, it's, it's like we're quietly wondering if we're allowed to talk about it, about the idea that this thing might not be completely over. What do you think? Let me know in the YouTube comments section. Again, immediately on the other video that I posted Wednesday night about if they keep winning, should they cancel the trade deadline fire sale that they've planned? The first comments were like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. We know what needs to be done here. It's unfortunate, but it needs to be done. And so maybe there's a lot of Cardinals fans out there who are very pragmatic about this situation. And I respect those people because, honestly, they, they're they probably right. You're 10 games below 500. You're 10 games out. The one thing that I will challenge a little bit, if, I, if this is a safe space that I can talk about this, can somebody explain to me why everybody is saying the wild card is not an option? Have we collectively as a society forgotten that there are three of them in each league, the National League and the American League? I understand that the Cardinals aren't a good team at this point, and I understand that a lot of teams in the National League are above them, and so you'd be having to pass almost everybody, right? But the Brewers are 10 games above 500. They're 53 and 43. Okay, let's look at the, the teams that are in the wild card mix and how they compare. The Diamondbacks are 54 and 42, as are the Giants in the NL West. So two of the wild card spots. Those guys are currently, if the season were to end today, in, in that spot. As of this recording, it's 10:30. Some games still may be going on the West Coast. So if that's wrong tomorrow, I apologize. But stay with me here. That's a 563 winning percentage. Those two teams, Arizona and San Francisco. Congrats to both of those teams for hanging in there, by the way. Like the I don't think I had either of them necessarily being on this level, so that's kind of fun to see for those teams. 
But then let's look for the third wild card team based on winning percentage right now. It's the Phillies. The Cardinals have actually knocked the Marlins out of that spot by sweeping them this week. The Marlins have lost eight of their last 10. But the Phillies are 52 and 43 with a 547 winning percentage. Okay. That's less than the Brewers. And the Phillies are in a playoff spot right now. I don't understand that math. The math is evading me. I'm not calling it likely. Let's, but context is so important. Don't say, well, they can't win the wild card, obviously. Sure they can. Because let's go ahead and do the math on this. 162 multiplied by .547, which is the winning percentage right now of the last team in the mix. That'd be 88 wins. It's where the Phillies would be right around now. 88 and change, which is pretty good. But there's nothing keeping the Phillies from losing more games than they wish that they would over the next two months, two and a half months. Like, they they might not stay at that pace. The Marlins are right there, too, so the Marlins would also have to do a similar kind of downshift, but they're already doing that, so it's not hard to imagine that they would. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10, like I mentioned. Who else is in the mix? Well, the Cincinnati Reds. They're 51-46, and 46, just a couple games behind those wild card teams at this point. Okay, they've lost seven of their last 10 and have been on a a rough skid recently. Nobody else is above 500. I just named all the teams that are above 500. Phillies, Marlins, Reds, Diamondbacks, Giants. Those are the five. Now, the Padres are playing better baseball. Maybe somebody else comes up from lesser and decides to make a, a thing of it. Maybe the Mets go on a run. I don't know. They're five games below right now. But that's five teams that are all kind of in that 85 to 88 win pace at this point. And if a if just a couple of them decide to downshift in ways that we've already seen from some of them, I don't think the wild card is an impossibility. Do I expect it? No, because I don't think the Cardinals are going to win 85 games. And you're probably going to need to be around 85 or 86. And that's being generous because right now the pace is more like 88, 89. But can we stop being so definitive about things like we just know what's going to happen? This is sports. Like, we don't know. It's just so strange to me. I don't know what it is. And it's like, you know, I'm seeing it everywhere. And I just don't. uh, Is it likely? Hell no, it's not likely. More than likely, the Cardinals are going to go, you know, 76 and 86. And that's going to be the season. But right now, I I just don't subscribe to the idea that all all these wildcard teams are juggernauts. They're uncatchable. One of them literally has a worse record than the Brewers right now. I would tweet this out, but I'm afraid of what people might say because it feels like it's a a collective view that everybody shares. And I don't even know if you're allowed to ask, but maybe I will. Maybe I'll tweet this out. Pause the show, tweet it out, see by the end of it if I've got any responses that can enlighten me on this one. Because I think it's possible that an 86, 85, 86 win team would make the wild card. Okay, and if you're doing that math, is it likely that the Cardinals are... Going to be such a team? No. They basically would have to win, and I said this on the big show this afternoon, two games for every game they lose. Right? That's why they got to not lose games right now. And we're going to talk about this Cubs series and the idea that it is, it's interesting and could decide the course of the season, and hopefully it does. How about that? Hopefully it does decide the course of the season. I'll explain what I mean by that. But I appreciate you guys listening tonight on B-Shape Daily. If you're on the YouTube channel, give it a like. Throw me a comment. Let me know what you're thinking right now about the St. Louis Cardinals. Do you still want to see them sell, even if things are beginning to turn around a little bit for them? 
Now just 10 games back, 10 games below 500. they They've won 8 of 10. One of the hottest teams in the National League right now. Dodgers have won 8 of 10. Giants have won 8 of 10. Cardinals have won 8 of 10. That's the pace of it for teams in the NL at this point. But let me know on YouTube what you think. And subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I think technically you follow on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. But the podcast is called B-Shape Daily. We're talking Cardinals every single day. And we put that podcast and some other stuff on this YouTube channel here. So YouTube.com slash at B-Shafer12. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. You can search it on YouTube. Find the channel. Click subscribe. Click the bell for notifications. And we rock and roll through the trade deadline and beyond. A lot of fun Cardinals stuff coming up. So make sure you guys are subscribed. If you enjoy Daily Cardinals Talk, this is the place to be because I'm doing a pretty hefty amount of original content on a daily basis here. So you want to be here. And now I want to go ahead and explore what we're looking at coming up on this Chicago Cubs series. Four games at Wrigley over the long weekend. We can talk about Wednesday's game. Wednesday's game was good, but I feel like the crux of what I want to get into and we'll sprinkle conversation about the game as we, as we go. I didn't make like a rundown of things I wanted to say from today's game necessarily because it feels like a more big picture time to be a Cardinal fan. Sometimes things do get lost in the shuffle though. So if there's something from the game specifically that I don't touch on from Wednesday, let me know what you want to hear me get into and I'll try to do it in a future episode. Like, for instance, yesterday, I don't think I said the name Brendan Donovan, and that was a mistake because his home run was great, and he's one of the guys that you just cannot trade. But then, of course, Nolan Gorman hits a home run today as well, and so it's like, huh, maybe recency bias over every home run hit. Not the best path. But the thing is, both of them are really good players. Gorman has huge upside. He's he's turned in a, a sturdy performance at second base. I think he's gotten a lot better. Donovan, if you've listened to the show and the, the stuff I do on YouTube, you know how I how I view him as a player and his value to the team. It is uh, He's indispensable. But that's the thing with the Cardinals, right? They've got several guys. Tommy Edmonds in that bucket. And you could rank them various ways. However, you, you everybody's maybe got a different guy that they think is the most valuable. You know, and then on the tail end of that, there's Dylan Carlson and the things that he has done. I think that's a guy that cost-controlled, play him in center field, reap the benefits, but doesn't necessarily have the upside offensively of certain other players. At least that's the perception. It's been the way he's performed against right-handed pitching through this point in his career, so I get it, but he's 24 years old. So you can kind of go round and round on these things. But the Cardinals, we know, have this sort of logjam, and so that's why you'd be considering trading from this position group that includes infielders, outfielders, and the guys who do both because they need starting pitching. They have a lot of hitters. Can't put them all in the lineup every day. They're begging for people who can throw innings in their rotation, and they're going to be begging even harder in April of 2024. So that's the reason that we have these conversations, not because we think Nolan Gorman should be traded or Brennan Donovan or you know whoever should be traded. A lot of times the only people that Cardinals fans are really like, you got to trade this bum is guys who they think are bums and they don't want to see on their team or in the daily lineup anymore. And so they're like, well, trade him. Well, yeah, if, if the guy's really a bum, every other team probably thinks so too. And so those aren't really the guys that command a lot of value in traits. The Cardinals are compelling because they have a lot of guys who are good, who are controllable in terms of not going to reach free agency for a long time. And teams covet that. And they have interesting skill sets. And so that's valuable to teams. And that's why 
I've continued to say, if the Cardinals are getting the kind of starter that you're really excited to throw right into the rotation, it's probably going to cost somebody that hurts unless they pull off a really savvy deal when they trade Montgomery and Jordan Hicks to the same team and get a pitcher that I don't even have an example because it's these guys are rentals. So what team is going to trade a guy that could already be in their rotation over there for a starting pitcher who they're going to have for two months and a closer that they're going to have for two months? That's two guys instead of one guy, and maybe those two months help them win a World Series. Like That's, a, that's important. That's the goal for a lot of teams right now, but realistically, I just don't know the level of player that they're going to pry from a contending team that wouldn't just say, well, why don't we just put him in our rotation and call it good because then we can have him for five more years even if we don't happen to win the World Series this year. That's okay because we still get to keep this player. That's the nature of rental players and guys who are coming up on free agency. The valuations are different. That's why I think it would be so fascinating to see Shohei Otani dealt because it's the combination of, yes, he's a rental who's going to be a free agent in a couple of months, but also like the best, most valuable player in baseball ever. This side of Barry Bonds. But this guy pitches and hits, right? He's he's going to hit 50 home runs this year and strike out however many guys he's going to strike out, 150. I don't know what his numbers are as a pitcher. Good, but you get my point. But I would love to kind of know what that would look like because it's a rental player at the end of the day. The Cardinals have some rental players that are really some good players, but what is it going to bring them? And I think that's part of this conversation as well when it comes to Cardinals are going to be selling off these short-term assets. I don't think you just dump these guys because you feel like there's a clock on it and you have to. There is a clock on it, and if you think you're out of it this year, you do kind of have to because waiting around for a qualifying offer that gets rejected and then you get a draft pick next summer and then that guy shows up in 2028 and doesn't really do anything for anybody that's looking to win in 2024, 2025 with this team. And so I don't think the onus is on the Cardinals to really pick up as many of these qualifying offer draft picks as they can muster. No, you want to trade the guys now to get players for them. makes perfect sense, but you got to find the right fits. And so if you don't find the right fits, is it a case of maybe you don't make the trades? Or is it more about strictly the standing, strictly the belief that they have or don't have in the potential for a miracle comeback in this division? Or in the wild card? Because like I said, I'm... I'm I'm not trying to be the advocate for this because I don't actually believe in it too hard. I'm just saying I think to just declare something flatly, when I see people declare something is fact that has more nuance to it, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to let this go. The wild card thing. Very, very unlikely, but again, not impossible. More unlikely than the division happening, sure, because fewer teams have to screw up. You need Milwaukee to screw up and the Reds to keep screwing up. As the Cardinals ascend, boom, you win the Central. Wild card. There are five winning teams, three wildcard spots, and the Cardinals would be a sixth because they're not currently a winning team. So you got to pass several capable teams instead of just a couple. I get that it's more difficult. But we don't know what those teams are going to do. They all might suck. And then 83 wins the third wildcard. We have no idea. I digress. But as I was saying, specifics to the 6-4 to four win the Cardinals had on Wednesday afternoon. If I missed something from that, comment below in the YouTube comment section. Let me know what you want to hear about with regard to specific players, I will just quickly run through the bullpen to say that this version of the Cardinals bullpen, they don't win this game a few weeks ago with what they had going. 
Today they did a really nice job. And maybe some luck. They got several double plays. Dakota Hudson gave up two runs. Could have been worse. Could have been better. Zach Thompson, first time he's pitched in like 20 days on a professional mound in a real game. Two innings, three hits. Like I said, pitched around danger, but no runs. Palante looked pretty sharp. I thought inning in two-thirds, a hit, a walk, but no runs. Uh, Ryan Tapera has one inning that was solid, tries to pitch another inning, gives up a home run. Inning in a third, just the solo shot. And then uh, Chris Stratton coughing up a run, but gets the save, comes on with a three-run lead, and they've been asking a lot of Chris Stratton, so he did his job, basically, even though it was a little bit adventurous, allowing a run in the ninth inning there. Cardinals win it 6-4. to four. It just demonstrates like the, the pitching is doing things that it hadn't been doing previously. Even on a day when you're facing Alcantara and you've got Dakota Hudson going two or three innings, he ends up going three. And then it's just bullpen dudes the rest of the way and, and not guys that you've been trusting, right? Other than Stratton, you've been trusting Palante. It's been going poorly. He just now got his ERA back to under five. Tapera's ERA for the season is 7.59. I don't know if it's gone up or down with the Cardinals. I think it's actually maybe gone up a little bit from where it was with the Angels because he's given up a run in both games that he's pitched. But he's a veteran guy, and they need innings, right? So you, this is the hodgepodge crew that you're rolling with, and they're doing enough to work in conjunction with the offense on a day where you just you just got to make it happen. Your defense really comes through for you. Arenado was out of his mind today defensively, and he's carrying this team right now. Two for four at the plate. Run scored, RBI, doing his thing. Donovan had a double. Like I said, though, don't have a ton to say. Although Brennan Donovan's OPS above 800. I just needed to make sure everybody knew that. You do uh, <clears throat> you do not trade that player. By the way, uh, Lars Nupar's OPS is 739. And so there is that. The one thing I can't do is brag on Dylan today because he, he didn't have a great game offensively. Two flyouts to center, which he's still taking some good at-bats. Good, Not good results, but decent at-bats over the last couple of days. But the two strikeouts, disappointing, especially the second one where he really had a chance to kind of add on for the Cardinals there and, and didn't make it happen. So not a great day for him, but Lars Newpar batting third is just not for me. But even today, he did a nice job. One for three, drew a walk. I would just switch him and Goldschmidt, but I know they don't want to go lefty-lefty in a row. There's a reason for it. There's a reason Ollie Marmel is managing and I'm not, but I, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. Nolan Gorman, though, by the way, could work himself back into being that three-hitter. I don't know if they're comfortable enough to do it yet, but if he has another couple of games looking like he's doing, especially at Wrigley, like that, we're going to talk about the Wrigley series here in a moment. I've been kind of teasing that out, but how I think it has a chance to kind of set the course for the rest of the Cardinals season is the way I want to frame this podcast tonight. (laughs) I say, well, half an hour into it, but you know how it rolls. Hopefully, along the way, as we meander and wind toward the main topic every night that I want to freaking talk about. Hopefully you at least enjoy some of the uh, meandering distractions that I endure as we go along. But what I wanted to say specific to Gorman about if he has another game or two looking the way he's looking again with another big home run that he hit in Wednesday's win, he's the guy that you want batting left-handed in the three-hole because I think he's got that consistent power that Lars Nupar doesn't really have, at least at this point. That's why his OPS is lower. I feel like Nupar is a good table setter, right? What was his line today? One for three, two runs scored, reached base via walk. I, they stacked Donovan and Nupar at the top of the lineup last year toward the end. They didn't seem to mind the lefty-lefty then because I think those are two guys that they think can take competitive at-bats against lefties. But you also kind of lose some protection for Goldsmith. Like, if they really wanted to, 
throw a lefty at Donovan Goldie Newt Bar in that part of the lineup to make sure they get to go lefty lefty on BFD and lefty lefty on Newt Bar, you're you're having a left-handed pitcher face Goldschmidt. It's like having a left-handed pitcher face Arenado, which Schumacher did last night, and that was silly. Cardinals won the game because of it. So I understand the strategy behind it, but specific to if you're gonna have a lefty in there, let it be Nolan Gorman at this point. If he's if he demonstrates a little bit more the pop that he is uh it's not even pop, it's pure unadulterated power from Nolan Gorman. It's just when he was going poorly, it was kind of rough. But July's been a, a different story for Nolan Gorman. He's really started to come around. So I think I would already make that change. I would move Gorman to the three hole if you want to have a lefty in there still between Goldie and Arenado. And uh, you know, bat new bar fifth if you want. Um Jordan Walker should honestly be batting fifth when he's in the lineup, but Contreras will probably be there when he's in the lineup. Neither of the guys just mentioned uh, Walker and Contreras were in the lineup today, so that's part of it. But I think that would be that would be savvy. Try try Gorman back in there and then Walker fifth. Contreras fifth is fine because he's actually been raking recently. Um, Herrera still doing a great job, by the way. One for two with a couple of walks today. See, I've ended up talking about the whole damn lineup anyway from today's game. But I feel like we got to kind of keep everybody abreast of what different guys are doing. Give Burleson some credit for his two for four. Did not look good in right field, though. Doesn't have good range. Made the great catch defensively in left field. Uh, leave him there, I think, if you're going to play it in the outfield. Which, the reason that Burleson plays, and people wonder this because they look at his numbers and they go, well, those are worse than Carlson. Yeah, they are. May not be the case in a couple more days because it's kind of close. Burleson's got the higher average, but I don't care about batting average. It's on base and slugging for me, which adds up to OPS. But Burleson hits right-handed pitching. That's, he's a left-handed bat who's supposed to be able to hit righties better. Carlson is the opposite. Even though he's a switch hitter, he's basically not. You can't rely upon him as much against righties has been sort of the the book on Carlson. And I think is the reason the Cardinals are probably going to end up trading him because they look at it as, well, what do we do? 65% of the time, 60% of the time at least, we're facing a right-handed pitcher. We want guys who are going to be adept in those situations and then be able to platoon out with the other guys. And they've got guys that could do both, but I think that's part of it with Carlson. They want a guy who can do both to play the everyday spot in center field, but they have willfully ignored the fact that Carlson is better at defense than everybody else they've tried to pop into that. And by the way, Tommy Edmond is the same way. Better against left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching, but he's been granted everyday center field when healthy. I like Tommy Edmond, so it doesn't bother me. I'm just, I mean, it it does bother me that he's not the shortstop. I, I still think it's strange. Paul DeYoung's OPS down to 731. But anyway, Paulie D still had a nice season, much better than where he had been. The bottom completely had dropped out on his career. Now he's like back to a, a stable foundation, which is good. Okay. After promising that I wouldn't talk about the game, I've talked about almost everybody in the lineup. So let's go ahead and get into what I'm looking at for this Wrigley series. Four games at Wrigley Field, late July. The wind will probably be blowing because it's Wrigley in the summertime. It's going to be crazy. Something's going to happen. It always happens at Wrigley Field. And that doesn't mean the Cardinals are going to do great things and have Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung go back-to-back against Craig Kimbrell. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but we're going to see something like that for one one team or the other this weekend. We're going to see something special. I just don't know if it's going to be special for the Cardinals or special for the Cubs or chaotic for the Cardinals or chaotic for the Cubs. I just know if you play enough games on a long weekend at Wrigley, Stuff's about to go down. 
All right, and it could not be better timing for the Cardinals, in my opinion, because they need something decisive to happen this weekend. If the Cardinals get their asses handed to them in four games by the Cubs, or even, you know, let's say they split the series two out of four, but they blow a save in one of the games that they lose. That's enough of a sign to go, all right, this whole little thing has been nice, but it's not It's not real. It's not going to last. It just isn't sustainable with the pitching that they have. So you might as well get rid of the rest of the pitching and really embrace the tank. The offense won't be embracing the tank. You'll just be frustrated as a Cardinal fan when they score six runs and they lose eight to six every night because they trade away their better pitchers, and it can be probably rather difficult to replace the guys that they're going to be missing midseason. It could get very, very ugly very, very fast if you trade those players. But they kind of need to trade those players if they don't have designs on making the playoffs this year. But this recent winning streak has gotten everybody confused. Not everybody. A lot of Cardinals fans, I give them credit. Like I said, pragmatic to say, don't be fooled by what this has been. They still don't have the pitching. Even if you don't trade away Montgomery and Flaherty, you've got Montgomery, Flaherty, Michaelis, and then what? Steven Matz, well, you hope so, but he has had one good start and one Steven Matz start. Cardinals version of Steven Matz as we've come to know him. It's not to say he's not been a good pitcher in the past, but we, we haven't seen in St. Louis him continue that trajectory. It's been rough. But maybe he can bounce back and, and kind of turn turn back the clock to the Toronto year or some of his really good Mets years, and maybe he ends up being a nice number four or better. But that's still four starters, and then you got to figure out the fifth spot. Dakota Hudson threw three innings today. Maybe he throws four and two-thirds the next time and gets built up more to be a starter again. But he's given up three or four runs every time he does it, and that's if it goes well. He can have those good outings, but he's completely reliant upon his defense to do it. So, like, we can go through and micromanage exactly what we're talking about here when it comes to the pitching, but we all know that it's been rough until recently but you get those quality starts, you get three in a row, I think, before uh, Wednesday's bullpen game. And wouldn't you know it, you win all those games because the offense is pretty good. They're going to score four to six or more runs most nights. They're not going to be held below four all too many times, I don't think, the rest of the way because I think they're finally kind of just playing the way they know they can. And they have a very good group of capable hitters. So I think they're going to do well. But can they overcome the pitching deficit? Or a better question would be, can the Cardinals take that step of belief in them to overcome the pitching deficits on enough nights to say it's worth changing their minds about being sellers to the deadline of Montgomery, of Flaherty, of Hicks. Who, by the way, said uh, yesterday, Jordan Hicks was asked about whether he's given any thought to this being maybe his last homestand as a Cardinal. He's like, no, not really. I, I figured I'd probably be here. Like, okay, maybe he's right, but but maybe he's just a cool customer and it doesn't, you know, Whatever comes, not gonna not gonna allow it to impact him. But he seemed more confident than I thought he should be that he was gonna still be around the next time the Cardinals make it back to Bush. We'll see. But what I think is great about this Wrigley opportunity is, like I said, if you lose more games than you win, or if even if you split, but you split in a way that just frustrates the hell out of you, that can probably be enough to say, all right, it's nice, and it's not to say that you can't still make a run. Miracles do happen. And by the way, I've identified the way that it would happen. Even if you trade away Flaherty and Montgomery, let's say the offense continues to hum and the bullpen 
in a way that they did on Wednesday kind of gains a little bit of confidence in itself and, and pitches better than it has recently. What could it look like for the Cardinals to sell pieces and still potentially try and contend? What I think would have to happen is getting a capable starting pitcher in one of these trades of Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks, and having that guy go immediately into the rotation. Not like save him for 2024 because he's still a triple-A guy, but like he goes into the rotation and shoves to take the spot of what Montgomery's been doing. And then you need something to the effect of Hudson to, whether you think Hudson's a good pitcher or not, because he's got like a 3.56 ERA for his career over like five years in MLB. But the the FIP, the fielding independent pitching, is about a full run higher than the ERA. And historically, I can remember B-Shafe Daily three years ago. My take on Dakota Hudson was like, look, he's probably always going to be a guy that outperforms his FIP for as long as he's on the Cardinals because the Cardinals have elite defense. But the Cardinals defense has kind of taken a step back this year, and so it's not something you can rely upon as reasonably. Right? Like Nolan Gorman's doing a nice job at second, but he's worse there than anybody that they've had the last three or four years because they've had gold glovers there for a long time. Colt Wong and then Tommy Edmond. You know, Brendan Donovan, I think, is a step up. So it's really just a, a product of kind of where they are. They're getting a second baseman who can probably hit 30, 35 home runs in Nolan Gorman, but he's also more of an average second baseman than a gold glove winner type of second baseman though his arm is absurd. Anytime he makes a play to the third base side of the second base bag, it's like, oh, he's going to throw this guy at first across his body. It's going to be awesome. And then he always does it. He's got a great arm. And for second base, it's just so OP. It's like you can't... It's awesome. But DeYoung's been kind of like fine at shortstop. He has no range. Um, just very limited in his left-to-right movements in terms of being able to get to balls. But he's a fine shortstop. But Dakota Hudson needs guys that are going to always be able to get to balls because he's going to give up First of all, a lot of walks and a lot of base runners. And then the way that they did today, and Zach Thompson had this happen, you let guys on base, you get out of it with a double play. Arenado can still start a 5-4-3 with the best of them, but it's just the defense has kind of taken a little bit of a step back. So you can't necessarily expect that from Hudson and say that's how, after they trade Flaherty and Montgomery, they're going to plug one of the guys in that they get from that trade or that those series of trades, and that guy's going to be your number four starter, and Hudson will be your number five. Or Adam Wainwright will come back, and I, I know you might scoff at that, but that's if we're talking about devil magic, like Adam Wainwright getting a little bit healthier and having something to say about his the way his career ends the, the last six weeks of the season or so, maybe that's part of it too. You would need something like that to take place. It's incredibly unlikely because for all the kind of inconsistencies we've seen from Flaherty, at least early on, He's been really sharp recently in keeping you in basically every game that he pitches. He's looked good. He's going to shove for somebody in the playoffs, man. I really feel like that's going to happen after the Cardinals trade him, of course. And then Montgomery, like you, it's going to be very tough to replicate what he's brought to the table. And even if you get to that level, you're still a team that's 10 games below 500. Like with what those guys have been giving you, you're 10 games under. Not to mention what you'd have to do at the closer spot where Jordan Hicks has been not automatic, but he has been pretty darn good since taking over as the lead man in the ninth. And then you have to figure that out all over again. Like, you're not going to throw Gallegos back in there. I think Chris Stratton might be the guy that you use in the ninth, honestly. Gallegos, I think you keep in, in a setup capacity. 
because he didn't necessarily adapt well to pitching in the ninth inning. Maybe it's JoJo Romero when you're facing a bunch of lefties in a lineup because he's looked better lately. Like that's what it would be, and it would be true devil magic type stuff to to see that group of relievers just kind of come together and, and form a unit. You'd have to have some crazy stuff like that happening. But I really think the move that would need to be made, if you are going to kind of buy while you sell, or really it would just be reorganized while you sell. Because when we say selling, we're talking about the short-term guys. Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks. Chris Stratton is also applicable, and so maybe he won't be around to close games because he might be on another team too. Get what you can for these guys. As long as you think you're out of it, I think that's the right path forward. But Wrigley's about to happen. Strange things happen at Wrigley. Can enough strange things happen in a good way to the Cardinals this weekend to convince them to put the pause, as John Mozalek said, on the idea of selling? I think we played this on last night's B-Shave Daily, talking about how Arenado had no time for next year. I'm not worried about next year. I don't have time for that. I'm going to hit a walk-off home run this year and then play great defense this year and see where that gets us. But I played, I went back and grabbed the Mozalek quote from Monday, played it last night because they had won their fourth game in a row. And I thought, well, that's halfway to eight. And he said, well, if you win eight games, maybe then you kind of pause and rethink about the way you look at things. But mostly, no, we're looking to make moves to sell, is is paraphrasing what he said. But now they're at five. Three more would be eight. So let's say they sweep the Cubs over the weekend. That's nine. You're six games below 500. You're probably, let's say, eight games back in the division, because let's just assume Milwaukee like goes 2-2 two and two or something. Is that enough to convince you not to sell? Maybe it's not. Maybe even nine wins in a row isn't enough. What I would do in that scenario, if it does play out that way, they win four over the weekend, make it nine straight, they go into Arizona, you're watching very closely at that point, and you're not making trades yet. You're doing everything you can to try and kick the can down the road as close to August 1st as you can get because you're gathering new data every day at that point. Again, this is still a hypothetical scenario where the Cardinals win nine straight and 12 of 14 at that point it would be and go into Arizona like, okay, how interesting can we make this on on John Mosley and company? But even if that happens, what I think you do is, yeah, you pause on selling the guys that you were thinking about selling who are expiring contracts or maybe you only trade one of them and hopefully get a pitcher back that you can use but he's got more team control attached because then he's probably slotted in for 2024 as well. Like, I don't know what pitcher exists out there that a team is going to go, yes, we'll take Jordan Montgomery for two and a half months or whatever it is, two months plus playoffs, and we'll give you this guy who's got five years of team control and he's good enough that you'll want to put him right into your rotation. It'd be like, well, why don't you put him into yours and keep him for four more years after this one? That's why I think it's very difficult to kind of ascertain what sort of moves are going to be, you might have to throw in some position players or even like a prospect type of sweetener to package these deals up and make them sing. But if you kept winning and had a magical weekend at Wrigley to force you to think about things a little bit differently, the way that you could still kind of make this reorganization happen is by trading a position player for a pitcher. So you trade Montgomery for a pitcher. It's a triple A guy that They'll they'll dabble in the rotation in August, but we don't really know what you're going to get out of them with much certainty because they don't have much experience. Or maybe they've gotten a cup of coffee at the big league level, but his ERA is 6.2. 
and you're like, well, that's not very good, but his AAA numbers are nice, and he's got a high K rate. Maybe the walk rate's a little bit elevated too, but hopefully that's something that he can hone. That's the type of pitcher I think you can get for a Jordan Montgomery. There's a prospect pedigree, but maybe a little bit of the shine is gone. Something like that. But nobody that's a guarantee necessarily. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to see the Cardinals trade Monty, two months of Monty for a bonafide dude that they'll have in their rotation for five years. That'd be great. I don't know how likely it is. But let's say you make that kind of trade for the the fringe guy that, yeah, he's going to be in that rotation competition for 2024 because he has to be. But are you certain what he's going to give you? Yeah, not really. And then you trade Jack Flaherty and Jordan Hicks in the same deal for whatever else you can get, right? I don't know. Another pitcher. But then you have a third trade where you move the position player that you don't want to move, or maybe it's the position player with Jordan Hicks to a team. I don't know. I'd have to look at the standings. Let me take a look at this real quick. Because Seattle is a team that we've really been talking a lot about. They're 47 and 47 right now. But Jerry Depoto's a little crazy. I think he's willing to to kind of make some moves that are that are big boy trades, MLB for MLB talent, and say, eh, stranger things have happened. Maybe we're still in the wild card mix. The Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox, Yankees all above 500. The Astros above 500. The Angels are a game above right now. So a lot of teams to pass if you're the Mariners. But again, you'd be trading for a controllable position player from the Cardinals, giving up one of your controllable starting pitchers. And so it's not like a buy or a sell move in that case. It would just be reorganizing the the roster. But maybe they would also say, we could love a, a closer like Hicks. We'll take a shot on that. I think it's probably too far gone for the Mariners specifically because they're whatever they are, five, six games out of a playoff spot at this point. And so maybe they don't necessarily feel like buying a short-term reliever makes sense. But maybe there's another team who's got a similar scenario, and I just don't see it yet, where they've got a starting pitcher, young guy that they'll trade. He's got team control, maybe not a a top, top prospect, but a solid arm, and they could use an infielder, or they could use an outfielder. And the Cardinals say, we'll give you this guy, and we'll give you Jordan Hicks because you're already going to the playoffs, and so you'll be able to use it. Maybe they find that. I think that's the kind of thing the Cardinals are spending some time surveying to see if they what what the other teams need. What can they offer to these other teams to find the pitching, the long-term pitching that the Cardinals are, are looking for. But in doing that, in trading the position player, which John Mozalek said doesn't have to happen yet, yes, there are log jams. We don't feel we need to clear these log jams right now when it can also be done in the winter if it doesn't happen now, is basically what Mo said on Monday. But if it becomes a way to acquire the pitching that they need and they just traded away two starting pitchers that were rentals, Maybe you have Mystery Man that you acquired for Montgomery, and then Flaherty goes somewhere. Maybe you pick up a prospect. Maybe you involve a third team, and you flip a prospect. A contender gets Flaherty, and you send that prospect to the place that's giving you the controllable pitcher that you're looking for. And they're also getting Nolan Gorman or Brendan Donovan or Dylan Carlson or Tommy Edmond. Again, I'm not even making a commentary right now on whether any of those guys should or shouldn't be traded. I'm just giving examples of the type of thing that I would wonder if that could put the Cardinals still in a position to make a run because you'd be taking away from your lineup, but not really because it's a logjam. So all that means is as long as you don't have a bunch of injuries, which is almost a guarantee to happen, right? The moment they trade away a position player because they think they've got plenty of whatever that position is, those other guys are getting hurt. You just know that's coming. 
But let's say they avoid the catastrophe that would be that situation and they trade a position player that's, whether he's blocked or whether it's just he's only playing part-time because they just don't have the playing time to a lot, everybody at once. And then, boom, you get a pitcher that fixes the gap that was left by Montgomery or Flaherty. Now you're kind of, like I said, buying while you sell, but more like reorganizing while you sell. If Mo could make three trades at the deadline, I still think there's room to say a lot's happened here. We probably did get worse because we lost Montgomery and Flaherty. Like, I'm thinking of the clubhouse mentality right now. Like, shoot, man, that's rough. But also, if they see a young kid come in with a little bit of flair and shove in his first start, it's like, okay, we can rally around this guy every fifth day. You trade a guy that they really feel good about in terms of a a position player. I'm not even going to go through the names again, but you trade position player Y, controllable position player Y for controllable starting pitcher X, and then that guy comes into your rotation and he starts shoving. And then maybe a Wainwright comes back or Steven Matz solidifies and suddenly you're like, whoa, this is not expected. I thought the pitching would be way worse than this. But that's how things can happen that it still kind of does matter what happens at Wrigley, right? Even if you say, no, 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 you have to make these moves for the long term. That's what I'm saying. This could be a transformative deadline for the Cardinals. Even if it's sort of like a sell deadline, there are ways to, to do it that, might still kind of keep it rolling this year if the thing is rolling this year. Be very intrigued to see if they can pull off a multi-trade deadline because I do think they need at least three trades. If you're doing this sell thing, it's got to be at least three. I think you could package Hicks to the same team that gets either Montgomery or Flaherty, but it it just depends on what you're able to get in, in any of these moves. But otherwise, you trade you trade all these short-term guys, but you consider that avenue that, that nets you the replacements for those starting pitchers and they slot in immediately, and if they pitch well, suddenly the the ball could keep rolling. That's maybe an angle that I don't think people are thinking a ton about because we're mostly saying, oh, they're going to sell. Oh, gosh, they're winning a bunch of games. Should they not sell? When, I again, it's always in the middle, right? It's always nuanced. And so I think like when you trade these players away, you're not getting zero for them. And if the deadline is about pitching, 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 and John Mosellock said the deadline is about specifically getting pitching that can help in 2024, maybe 2025, but they're really thinking about next year more. Well, what's the difference of a few months? If a guy can help you in 2024, you might as well pitch him this year because you got nobody left. Like, that's kind of the mentality that I think it would be. And so it would largely depend on what those guys coming in would be able to do. But I think the position player aspect of it is really interesting too, just because if they're admitting they have too many for the spots that they have on the field, all this would do is clear that logjam out and acquire a thing that you don't have enough of right now. And so maybe that actually finds a way to help the performance of the team. So I think the best thing that could happen to the Cardinals this weekend is either winning all four games at Wrigley or losing all of them. Like, don't leave any room for interpretation. I think the worst thing that could happen for the Cardinals this weekend would be winning three of four. Because then you're like, ugh. Well, Brendan Schaefer said they needed to win two for every game that they lost. And so basically... Winning three of four is barely above the status quo that's necessary to make a run on this thing rather than being able to really stack, stack, stack wins to eventually, like if you win the next 10 games as of this moment and you're at 500, suddenly you don't have to win two for every game that you lose. Suddenly it's more like, well, if the Brewers only win 80 games, suddenly you're on pace to be the the winner of this division. Like they're not all that incredibly far away from those kinds of things becoming conversations. But if you go out there and play pretty well, and not extremely well, that muddies the waters. 
if you go play pretty mid, if you go two and two, I still think it's firmly sell mode. If you win all four, though, I don't think it's buy mode by any means. And I also don't think it's a situation where you abandon completely the idea of selling. Because, again, you still might be eight or nine out, depending on what Milwaukee does over the weekend. But I do believe nine in a row would mean something. 12 or 14 would mean something. It would mean, hey, this offense that you put together, Mo, it is kind of what you thought it would be. And it's it's showing you that now. But you still did kind of muff the whole pitching situation. Can you fix it on the fly? At least take a shot at it that doesn't hamper the future and maybe even builds up the future a little bit better. And then go play some baseball and see what happens. Like, that might be the most interesting Cardinals deadline, potentially. But it would take a very adept president of baseball operations to maneuver some choppy trade waters because trades are tough to make and they're tough to make on the fly because every other team is trying to negotiate and get the better deal and work with this other team because you didn't offer them what they wanted. And it's uh it's a chaotic time. If Mosella could have a really strong couple of weeks. And I think the reason I believe it could happen, even though I've said previously, he doesn't always operate well under these pressures where it's like very clear deals need to be made. He doesn't maybe always get the most leverage in those situations because other teams kind of know where he is. He bends to the leverage in the offseason with a Sean Murphy kind of thing where he says, well, we'll just go we'll go Wilson Contreras because we don't want to be left in the cold on this deal. If Mosellock can say, screw this, I've only got a couple years left of doing this. My contract goes after 2025. I'm probably out after that by my own choosing. This has been an obnoxious time. I've gotten a little gun shy because of the trades that did go wrong, the guys that I did let get away. But why not just like try to make this thing happen with some bold moves and see what I can do to set up 2024 effectively? And maybe I might stumble bass backwards into 2023 becoming interesting again as well. That's kind of where I wonder where the Cardinals might be with this. And if they lose all four in Wrigley, then it's like, okay, yeah, this is what we thought it was. It's just not a very good team, and, and the pitching is... Probably going to be the reason that, again, if you go to Wrigley and you lose four in a row, it's because you didn't pitch well, especially in midsummer. It's going to be warm, I'm sure. The wind's going to be blowing, probably out because it's Wrigley. And so it's going to be because you just got shelled. Like somebody from this Cardinals pitching staff is probably going to leave Chicago on Sunday with something that they won't be able to get out of their head when they sleep for the next decade, right? Like it's going to be, it's going to be someone hitting a towering shot onto a street it's going to be, something's going to happen, right? Or they win all four and you go, man, has this become fascinating all of a sudden. There's nothing like a Wrigley series in late July. I wish I was going to be up there. I am not going to be up there. Too much going on at home to make it happen. Next year, though, I'm going to probably make an effort to take at least one Wrigley trip, probably both of them if I can. But for now, it is what it is. But we'll still be following along on B-Shape Daily We'll be following along on YouTube, but let me know what you think. Again, these were some scattered thoughts, but I'm just trying to get these thoughts out because it's like, yes, the obvious is sitting out there that they're going to still need to sell. Yes, it's going to be very compelling to see what they get if and when they do sell. But like what remains is kind of interesting the more wins the Cardinals rack up because this division's not good. The Reds were cute for a minute there, but I don't think they're quite ready. They're going to be scary in the next couple of years if they continue on the path that they're on, but they very well could be like a 79 win team. And that's just kind of where they're at, right? The Brewers are fascinating because the division is basically theirs by default at this point. 
But what if they go so bold as to become sellers at the deadline too? Because that front office is a little bit kooky and they thought it was smart to do last year when they traded Josh Hader, even though they were in pole position for the division at the time. I'm not discounting the possibility of anything. And I know Cardinals fans are kind of fed up of, oh, just win and get in. Anything can happen. I don't give a damn whether it's 80 wins that wins you a division. October baseball is fun. And so if you've got a shot at it, I don't think you can just completely throw that away. But kind of talking through this tonight, I have gotten myself into a mode where I kind of wonder, even if selling off the assets that are short-term the way that they probably need to do, even if you make those decisions, I wonder if maybe that doesn't automatically spell the end of a run if you continue to just get robust performances from your offense every day and the merry band of misfits in the bullpen decides to keep playing ball. If nothing else, I think you have a good weekend at Wrigley. The Cardinals are going to keep your attention in a way that you didn't think they'd be able to. Even if they do end up selling some of the guys that have been reliable, they're going to be more interesting in August and maybe even into September than you thought if the weekend at Wrigley goes well. If you want to follow the Cardinals content from that weekend at Wrigley, it'll be right here on B-Shafe Daily, right here on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at B-Shafer12. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to B-Shafe Daily as well if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode of the audio edition. We might get into a live stream over the weekend. We might not. Like I said, busy times. Uh, Allison asked me on Twitter tonight, hey, what's the deal? Any more live streams coming soon? Uh, The answer is yes, eventually we will do them. But uh, there's this thing called sleep regression for infants, and right now it's happening at my household. I've had the baby monitor sitting here on my desk the entire time I'm recording. Little man is still appearing to be out, but he was moving around a little bit, so he'll probably wake up soon, and I'll have to deal with that. But just a lot going on, and the fact that YouTube, I, I just it frustrates me because I feel like the live stream could be such a great thing, but when I get a little bit momentum on a night that like people are really wanting to watch, and suddenly, bang, I've got 100 people in this kind of lobby watching me talk, and then my my stuff craps out, it changes my mood so fast. And I don't want to do that to you guys, and so I'm, I'm still kind of getting over mentally to think, I want to jump back out there and do some live streams, but I also don't want to piss people off and say, oh, I'm wasting my time with this guy, because then maybe the person who tuned in for the first time never tries it again, and I still want to build this community and build this audience so that people are here talking Cardinals and letting me know what y'all think getting the pulse of Cardinals nation. That's, that's what we're doing here. And so that's kind of my thought process. I haven't really talked about this recently and it's been a couple weeks of, we've just been hitting it hard since the 5th of July. Today is like two straight weeks where I don't think there's been a day. We didn't do a podcast other than the Friday night that uh, was suspended and rained out. I think maybe we didn't end up doing one that, that night. I can't remember for sure, but like we're rocking and rolling. If you like Cardinals stuff, if you like the St. Louis Cardinals and you want to hear people talk about them, who are like, I at least have like some semblance of knowledge. There are people out there who are far more knowledgeable than me, far more plugged in than me. However, I'm grinding with y'all, trying to get this thing rolling. And so I appreciate the support that you guys have given me. Um, if you want to check out the Patreon too, patreon.com slash bshafer12 is a way to uh, support me in that regard. But that's it, baby. I think we're rolling out on that. So I appreciate you guys as always for listening. I'm available at bshafer12 on all social medias, including Twitter. Send me a DM and let me know what you think. Are the Cardinals about to get hot? I guess we'll see, guys. But that's going to do it for this edition of the show. We will talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.